Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Uh, Odell, have you ever been in a prison? Yes, I've been in a prison for a long time. So you could say I cut my teeth on prison barbed wires. I was in a prison for the first time in my life about uh, two weeks ago. Is our prison system, from your viewpoint, designed to be to punish or to rehabilitate? Let's be honest, man. Some people belong in prison, right? You know, you, you, you've killed someone. You've raped someone. I'm sorry. You, you know, sit it down. You know, we all, we all got to fall asleep alone at night, right? At some point, it's just us. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that's our biggest battle. And I got so much help from some of the people who you thought wouldn't help me at all because they saw some common ground. They saw the fact that, hey, this guy's trying to make a difference. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God, just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. God, we just thank you for second chances. We thank you for third chances. We thank you for fourth chances. God, as we look, you talk so much about you are there for us. And sometime we're not always there for you. So we ask you to forgive us for our shortcomings, but continue to help us and keep us and guide us as we continue to make a way out of no way. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, you, you told us to uh, reach out to those that are in need and least of our brothers. You're taking care of them in, in your name. Lord, uh, know that the folks that get incarcerated and come back with a felon, uh, find it very difficult to find jobs and, uh, they need a second chance. And Lord knows all of us need a second chance. Uh, just some of us haven't been caught and, uh, Lord, uh, we ask your blessings on the ministry that Brandon has started. We asked uh, blessings on all the men and women that go through his ministry. We ask that, uh, they, uh, take that second chance to heart and trust in you. Amen. Uh, Odell, have you ever been in a prison? Yes, I've been in a prison for a long time. I was in charge of the prison ministry here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Uh, very unique experience going in and hearing those doors slam behind you, close behind you, and more importantly, the individuals that's inside. Uh, my first official quote-unquote sermon was done in a prison right off of Sandy Ridge Road. Uh, now it's over there by what we would call the farmer's market. But yeah, that used to be a prison right there. So going in the yard, all the bob wires, and it's just interesting, that whole concept. But it was very rewarding for me. So you could say I cut my teeth on prison bob wires. Um, 
when it came to ministry and preaching. Wow. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that. So the first time you preached, um, I, I was in a prison for the first time in my life about uh, two weeks ago. I got invited down to Salisbury, North Carolina. There's a prison down there. The state of North Carolina mothballed it and sold it to a ministry for a dollar. And it's 40 acres. It's got maximum security. It's got dorms and everything. Needs a lot of work. Uh, but the plan is to turn it into a learning center for folks coming out of prison. Uh, learning culinary arts, auto repair, plumbing, electrical, welding, and uh, and also for their families. In the uh, but it was interesting. The whole place was open, and they, I got there a little late, so they were doing a tour. This group that was getting it. So I came in behind them, and the first place I walked in was the maximum security cells, mm. and they were just rows and rows and rows. I looked in one, and you know you see the bed and the stainless steel sink and the toilet. And pretty Spartan. And I started thinking about that. It, you know, we're in the South, you know, how hot and humid it is. There's no air conditioning, like some fans and that's it. I'm thinking how miserable this place must've been like a hot box. And then, uh, then I was walking around and I'm just trying to absorb everything because I've never been in a space like this. And, you know, the, obviously the razor wire, but everyone uh, on the metal fences, all the, the junctions where they put, um, orange paint on every one of the junctions. And I was walking around and I thought, hmm, I wonder if they did that to protect it from something. Then I realized, no, it's a quick visual for the guards to look and see if somebody's cutting the wire and making mm. it being able, you know, hide it. And uh, if you break the paint, it, it shows up. And I thought, holy cow, you know, you know, you don't, your brain doesn't go there because you're not in prison, but you understand that. Um, then I started wondering about all the men, this is a men's prison, all the men over the last 50 years that have been incarcerated there and what their stories were and what their lives were about. And if anybody like Brandon, who's our guest today, had stepped in their space to help them make a new life. Odell, let's bring Brandon in and give us a little background on, on his ministry. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, well, I'll thank you for having me, guys. Odell, you're going to say something. I was sitting here thinking, um, Brandon's in prison ministry. I've done it. Bill, you you start and do some of it. The whole idea of being institutionalized, that's a big deal because a lot of what prison does is not just confines one's body, but also it confines one's spirit if you're not careful. And it reflection on one's family, because if I'm the breadwinner of the family and I'm in prison, what does that say? You know, or now of a sudden in South Carolina used to be something to say, what kind of bird doesn't fly? And the answer was a jailbird. So I'm glad that Brandon is in helping. Um, Brandon, share with us your experiences in the prison system and how did you get started, sir? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, look at like anything in life. Sometimes we, we, um, you know, we have, we have a calling, we have a path that, that sometimes we don't know. And, and that's really what led me into this whole work. I was, I was 18. I got arrested facing five to 10 years in, in a prison. So I did some time in county jail, but never had to do the, the, the prison time because I had a judge who gave me a um, probation instead. Not, not only that, uh, while I'm probation, I, I met the chef who mentored me and it gave me the opportunity to work around the world, man, from, um, you know, I got out of Detroit. Worked in um, from New York to Chicago to even Paris, 
and uh, really want to give all that all that back. I mean, that's that's how I stumbled into this whole idea of, of what a um, a second chance truly means and, and what mentorship truly means when you're you're you know you're on the wrong pathway. But um, you know, experiences in in and out of the joints. Um, you know, I've been doing this work now for I mean over over a dozen years and. Uh, it, it never changes in terms of the uh, the potential that someone has when, when incarcerated, uh, the the darkness that that may be overhead in in you know institutions, but um, you know doing what we do that's that's offering a six month program here in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, where we uh, we train men and women to the top in culinary arts and hospitality. You know we have a French fine dining restaurant that someone gets training in for that six Ooh. months. They work every position, dining room, kitchen, you name it. But um, we also have housing, you know, we have, uh, you know, student housing, two, two apartment buildings, it's free. Uh, we've got family housing, we've got graduate housing, we've got a, a whole campus full, filled with a park, library, fitness center, farm, garden. And it's, um, you know, uh, amongst all of our other entities, which is a butcher shop and bakery. So um, we offer a real fair and, and equal opportunity, man, when you come out. Uh, you're, we're here, and if you're inside, we teach inside as well. We're, we're on tablets nationwide, nearly a half million tablets. You can find our, our, our video curriculum on uh, at no cost. You can you can watch the videos on the lessons in this business. You can you can take quizzes. Um, so we hit pretty hard, man. I'd say we're the nation's leader in, in what we do, and, and and no one does it as, as holistically as this. That's for sure. What's the name of the ministry? Uh, this is Edwin's. So Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute. Edwin's. And what does Edwin stand for? Uh, well, it's a mantra, education wins. It's also <laughs> my middle name, uh, Edwin. So, <laughs> Oh, that's great. I didn't have to reach too far when creating the name. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but you, you you got a good one there. Education wins. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, Odell, we, we Dory found Brandon on, uh, I guess, a cnn or cbs news mm -hmm. and she wrote it down she says we're going this we get to cleveland so we're in cleveland mm -hmm. over july 4th for family reunion and uh we invited my sister and brother-in-law and they joined us and we had a fabulous meal fabulous service uh highly recommend it uh it's priced reasonable uh even though i gave a pretty significant tip because i figured they needed more than i did and uh i i, I look forward to coming back there brandon to to eat and and see what you've done. I know you're coming to North Carolina sometime in mm -hmm. October, I believe. Uh, yep. Going down to East Carolina. So we're going to try and, Dorian, uh, we're going to try and figure out how to rendezvous with you when you come into town. That's going to be lovely. So, 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 Brandon and Bill, so you're, Bill, you're sitting down with your family, having a fine meal, and you're being served by individuals who's in the training program. Did you even have any idea, Bill, at all that these individuals in the training program? No. No, if if I hadn't known the backstory, I just said, these are guys that like tattoos and piercings. Can I get you something? You use a fork and it's done. They take it. It was, you know, Odell and I went to Paris with our wives, Brandon, and we went to Arpege. And uh, I don't know if you've heard that place, but it was like, I think it's it's got a couple of Michelin stars, but it's, I guess, one of the top five restaurants in Paris. And uh, we were going to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary with my wife and I. So Bev Cleveland and Odell Cleveland were joining us. And we were going to go to dinner until I looked at the prices. And I said, no, 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 we can't afford that. So we went to lunch. And it was like 16 courses. Is that right, Odell? 
Yes, very much so. Very much so. And it was organic. Yeah, a lot of it was vegetarian. Uh, and it was really, really good. I think when you talk about fine dining and compare that to what Brandon had, it's very similar in regards to the service that the, the, the men and the women that provide. The food is spectacular. Uh, you know, I, I want to get into some some more meaty subjects with Brandon. Uh, Brandon, uh, do you, is our prison system, from your viewpoint, designed to be to punish or to rehabilitate? That's a good question. I think it's um, it's going to boil down to uh, institution by institution, state by state. It's uh, it's terribly finicky. You know, I, now I, I do a lot of traveling across the country and work with different systems, you know, whether it's Texas or um, elsewhere. And uh, what I've seen over, over the course of, of the last decade in prisons, you'll see some institutions just get it right. Like they get it. And there's some that are there to um, to really look out for the welfare. Like let me explain, like in Ohio, you have a, a tiered system where uh, when you get you know, sent away to prison, they're going to get classified in some sort of setting, right? If you're level five being the worst, level one being the best, there you are. But in the higher level prisons, most of the, the faculty and staff are looking out for welfare and safety. They're not looking out as much for programming. But as you increase your, your level, you know, lowering it, I should say, lowering your level of risk, um, you see the induction of, of more training and more programming. Also, the proximity to the like metropolitan areas, you know, the, the prisons that are, aware, you know, further away, you're not going to find much of that programming or rehabilitation that, you, you, you know, you, you would hope to find. I think it's different, man. I think Texas is doing a, a great job in terms of education. You know, they're, they're, they're really striving to rehabilitate. They got a separate public school system just for prisons. Um, you know, I've been down to Alabama um, you know, you can say there's, there's much to be desired, but that was just in a location where I was at. Um, mm-hmm. it, it varies. It varies, man. It varies. And some, and some, some wardens will just grab onto this idea of, of, of rehabilitation and they will just double down on it and they will push and maximize what, what can happen and what's possible within the prisons. So I would say it's, I think it's designed to do, to do what it does. And, and each human that runs these, these institutions is, is doing what, what the, the best they can do with what they, what they know. And sometimes they don't know what re- the good of rehabilitation is. Um, let's be honest, man. Some people belong in prison, right? You know, you, you, you've killed someone, you've raped someone. I'm sorry, you, you know, sit it down. Okay. Now, while you're there, let's use your best judgment to get to a better place, you know, identify what you did, where your triggers are and what, what might make you into a stronger, better person, which I, I think is the most powerful thing is the perspective of, of incarceration, because you've seen things, you've, you've, you've adjusted, you've identified, you know, you, the world is a different lens, man. The college doesn't get you that. Yeah. So it's a really, that's a, that's a really good question. I, th- I think it's a mix of both. Okay. And then the follow-up question on that is how do you find your candidates to be part of your program? Well, I mean, at first it was going to every shelter, church, courtroom, prison, where, wherever, anyone who would listen. Right. And, and it was enough to start a class. And you can see that in, in a documentary called Knife Skills. That was uh, it went to the Oscars in 2018, and it followed um, really followed me along for five years in the founding of this. And and, and you see that the difficulties, the constraints, and, and the successes of, of of many of the individuals in our program. But it was anyone and everyone. Uh, now you know we've got hundreds of alumni 
the word of mouth is probably the, the strongest. Um, we still teach in prison, um, which is, you know, strong, but, you know, release dates are here and there. The, the, the media is probably the, the strongest, you know, when we get coverage, someone's mother or someone's father, someone's son, someone's daughter, I mean, they tell the person that they love about this program and that it's possible, but the tablets are strong, man. I mean, we, we, you know, we're on this many tablets and someone can take our programs for free. We've got a partnership with the Browns, the Cleveland football team here. They'll pay for transportation to get up to Cleveland. Um, we got free housing. You get paid to go to school. So now the pipelines is not only much more um, realistic, it's, it's accessible now. It's like accessible to get to us. You know, it's interesting, Brandon, that one of the things that happened when I used to run this other program, we went from prison ministry to something called Welfare Reform Liaison Project. And a lot of the individuals, well, some of them would get out of prison and they would be very, very excited and hungry for a new way of life. And some of my biggest disappointments were the fact that once these individuals got situated and started doing well, they kind of relaxed a little bit and fell back into what got them in trouble in the beginning. So what are the safeguards that you have in your program to help individuals who, you know, when things are tough, they're good, but when things get a little easier or things start working out, Odell does things to sabotage himself. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, that's, I, I think this, this could only be said by someone who understands what we do. Right. And I, and I think you hit it on the head, you know, you get down the road, you're doing good. You've got, you know, good practices a good you know good discipline in place and then you start screwing things up somehow some way and you know quite frankly there's 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 nothing we can do to prevent that you know as much as we try i I think it's just um what we try to do is one when you're in this program it's like we don't ask about your previous offense okay we'll say have you been in the criminal justice system or affected by it yes okay you're in the program let's go there's no cameras in this place you know what I mean? There's a, there's a big culture of, of, of moving forward and trust from the management staff. We're trying to create a bond, right? We're trying to create this idea that, hey, look, if you work hard, we're, we're going to block and tackle. I, I think that the best medicine that we've put forth is the idea of making a, a relationship, like a real relationship through hard work. It's nothing like you sit down and say, you know, we got to be friends or this. This is working with each other for six months. You start to develop this idea. I got someone to rely on. I got someone I can call on. And I think that's the most powerful medicine and it just takes time. Like there's no rush in that one. Right. You know, we're always a, a phone call away. We've got a case manager on site. You know, we got the free housing that we offer. We've got, I mean, I can give you all the list of things on paper that make it sound simple, but when it's, you know, someone in themselves and having to make a decision about going forward, the best thing we could do is say, we did our best job into um, helping someone find a more powerful. Yes. Uh, meaning like winning, meaning like doing what you believe you could do, meaning, you know, you're doing what you've always dreamed of doing. If you can get someone connected to that more powerful yes, usually that temptation that comes up, people put down and say, no, the path I'm on is so powerful. I'm not even thinking about that or looking at that. So if we can create that relationship and create that more powerful yes into to winning, we're good, but nothing can ever... Um, you know, we all, we all got to fall asleep alone at night, right? At some point, it's just us. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that's our biggest battle. Oh, boy. That's true. You know, I agree. One of the things we used to say at Welfare Forum is say, um, for some people who come into the program, but they would never buy in. And buy in wasn't, you know, nothing more than just, hey, at least try to abide by the rules, what we have here. And what yeah. you can't do, we, w- we wouldn't allow you to do is come in and be negative 
toward everybody else and just talk down the program. So I used to have a saying, you know, if you didn't do what you need to do, we said, you know, let the let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord split you right smack in the middle of your behind on your way out the door. And we used to put people out of the program and folk would just get so upset. It's like, I can't believe you all a a Christian group putting people out of the program. I'm like, hey, you can come back in the program. That's not the issue, but you're not ready for the program yet because you have to be ready to make a change because no one is going to enable you here. No one's going to baby you here. All we ask you to do is do your part. And if you're not willing to do your part, then we don't want to be a part of you right now. But when you get ready, we're here for you. And I think that what was called tough love. And we, we really got a good and a bad reputation for being tough love. But we refuse to allow somebody just to come in the program and just act like they could do anything they want to in the program, anywhere they wanted to. And that was just crazy because it's like, if you don't want to be here, we don't want you to be here. We don't want to hear about uh, the white man holding me down and all that kind of craziness from the program's perspective, because it wasn't a white man holding you down. It was Odell. Odell saying, hey, we could do this. We can't do it. But you have to show up on time. You have to do what you need to do. You can't be in here stealing. You know, we had a, a, a big operation. So when you get those type of things, trust is a big deal. Trust is a big deal. And that you're going to do your part and not try to get over and everything. And I'm not trying to be negative. I just, some of the things that I personally had to deal with because that's, that's just the way it is. And in a lot of cases, the guys would come in. Well, not a lot of cases, some cases, the guys would come in and trying to uh, talk to the women all day. It's like, yo man, this ain't a pickup spot. Everybody have their challenges. We're trying to make this thing work. And, and you, and the thing about it is a lot of times the individuals have the talent and they have the ability, they can do it. And they're smart, they're intellectual, they can do it, but sometimes folks choose not to. However, let's thank God that 85% of the people in the program did make the right decisions. But when you run a program like this, it's a hand up, not a handout. It has to be a hand up, in Odell's opinion, not a handout. So that's enough of my preaching, Bill. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it right there. Brandon, the folks that come through your program, do you see some common thread on how they ended up incarcerated. I think it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to just blanket statement someone, you know, or, or, or a, a mass of people, you know, consider coming home from prison. I don't, I can't, I can't think of one common thread. I, I, I think what I see a lot of, okay. I don't want to call it a common thread. Cause I just don't want to, you know, cast that, that, that perception over somebody or a group of people, but you know, a lot, a lot of this comes from parents, right? Like the, the the parental structure or the, or let's just call it the mentorship structure uh, in someone's life. I, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of individuals making um, some very emotional decisions that, and we don't ask what they did to get there, but we see the byproduct of some of these, these decisions. And then, you know, I think a lot of emotional decisions with not someone to depend on or ever learning the skills to be able to cope with that. And especially someone coming off a long run, maybe, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, they're pretty much a child when they, they got incarcerated, they're still making those sort of decisions now, you know, at age of 35. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of that, man. It has to do with a lot of emotions, you know, a lot of emotions and having to deal with them and who do I lean on or um, what's the best, best choice to make in this, this position, those kind of tools, Bill. I mean, those kind of tools you see as a common, uh, common issue. Well, you bring up something, you know, Dell and I are going to be co-chairs along with the chief justice Supreme court, in North Carolina and a couple other folks. 
of a thing called Youth Resilience Summit. And to be honest with you, Odell and I didn't know much about resilience and acute childhood experiences. And uh, we've, in the process, we're going to have a keynote speaker and then four breakout sessions in the morning, with just, uh, work sessions, then a lunch speaker, and then four more in the afternoon, and we're done. But the whole, whole concept is uh, this thing called ACEs and uh, acute childhood experiences. Uh, Center for Disease Control and Kaiser Permanente uh, in 2018 and just recently updated uh, 17,000 people to see if there was a common denominator between alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, uh, hypertension, mental illness, uh, kidney failure, uh, cancers, anything. If there was some common denominator and they found uh, that they were these acute childhood experiences and there's a movie called Resilience, it's on YouTube, uh, and they can actually tra track uh, the change of the brain chemistry. If you've got, there's 10 questions, if you get four of them before you're seven, you have a 95% chance of having some issue later on. And Chief Justice Paul Newby, get, getting involved at this, in his criminal justice system, most of the people coming through it have those four aces and they don't have a support system, just like you were saying, they don't have that. In fact, all the shooters, the mass shooters, they all have five or six aces. And uh, so the, what I, what I, when I asked you that question, and you hit the nail on the head, not having a uh, support system growing up when you, you, in some of these aces are divorced in the family, somebody's an alcoholic, somebody's a drug addict, you've been abused physically, mentally, or sexually, uh, you, you don't have enough food in the house. And, you know, the, I bet you if we went and had asked your folks how many aces they have, I bet you all of them have at least four, if not, if not a whole bunch more. Odell had a lot growing up the way he did. And I asked him, how did you get through it? What was your, what was the thing that kept you out of going, getting in jail? And he said it was his mother. His mother was the one that held the family together. And uh, so I share that with you because, uh, you know, you're more than welcome to come down. We're going to do it November 4th. Uh, and we're going to do one in every major city, I think, in North Carolina. Um, nice. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is what are the pros? You know, in uh, I, I did a little research. The uh, There are more prisons in the United States than there are colleges and universities. That, that kind of blew me away. I didn't realize there are that many prisons. And uh, do you think, what's the pros and cons of the government-run institutions and privately run? Yeah, I, look, that's a good question, man. I think that uh, you're spot on. You know, we spend about $74 billion a year on, on uh, incarceration, right, which is six times more than college education. So Holy it's like, cow. yeah, the numbers are there. Um, and, and this is my experience, right? So, you know, over the last... 10 plus years in multiple states that I don't think the linchpin here is, is, is private prisons. You know, I, I don't, I think it's a very um, easy target to point to. I think that you could say, well, private prisons are the, 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 the they're, they're the minority of all prisons, right? In Ohio, we've got maybe two out of 30, right? It's like, they're not the, the primary driver here. Uh, behind the scenes are things going on with private prisons and dollars being lobbied and this, yeah, absolutely, I'm sure. But I, I think when you look at this, the, I don't even look at pros and cons. 
I just think that these the states and the government, uh, you know, if they're the ones incarcerating someone, they're the ones who should find the um, the wherewithal, the solutions, the um, the means to to be able to take someone from that, you know, that uh, sentence to, you know, end of sentence because. I can't say private prison is good or bad. I've seen some cultures of private prisons that are very good. I've seen some that are very bad because they don't pay a lot. Drugs are getting smuggled in and you got someone using who's, I mean, you can see a lot of bad things, but I also look at the communication pipelines and how much, you know, someone's being charged as an inmate. And I don't see the States trying to control that communication. Instead, they're, they're allowing these, you know, companies to come in to do their communication setup of hardware and software because the States don't want to make that investment. And because they don't want to make that investment, these other companies do. And, and it takes about four years to pay off that investment. So then therefore they're charging people a lot so they can pay off their investment and, and not lose. If the government just said, hey, we're going to control communications and in, in, in facilities, you're going to drop the price right away for an inmate. You know, you, you're not hearing about these sort of conversations. Um, you're talking about uh, an inmate that wants to make a phone call. A phone call, video calls, all these sort of things. It's they just, charge them a ton of money, don't they? Well, because they're laying out all the money, Bill. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. why, why does the state step up and say, we're going to do it? What, and yeah. then eliminate that whole cost to the inmates and then control the line of communications. There's all these deferrals in life. And I think the states have been deferring a lot to save costs and cut costs. And the repercussion of that is, is, is a, an experience within a facility you're supposed to technically be getting rehabilitated in. And it's not always that. And I think that state-run facilities and private facilities both. Uh, so pros and cons, uh, I, I don't know, man. I'm not looking at the books, the budget. Uh, the only pro I can think in a private prison is economics or capacity within a state. The cons I see, I, I don't know if, if it's being run at the same level. Maybe their employees aren't getting pensions. That could be a con. Um, cons could be they're not paying your employees enough and drugs are coming in. The culture is bad. But again, it's case by case and definitely not the the dominant amount of prisons in this country are not private prisons. Uh, but I think that, I think the, the state governments could do a lot more to make a, a better experience, a more affordable experience for families, uh, you know, and helping a true rehabilitation come to fruition. Good, good input. You know, it's interesting that when you Brandon, when you think about it, you're just spot on. So obviously you know exactly what you're talking about. When you start thinking about who's in prison, it's usually poor people in prison on average, but when you start thinking about what you're doing, is this a case where a private citizen is doing something that the government should be doing when it comes to rehabilitation and all the opportunities that you're giving individuals as a bridge? So do you see yourself as doing the government's job or, and two questions, do you see yourself yeah, as yeah. doing the um, government's job, but also do you deal with the whole racist part of prison, meaning that, mm -hmm. Odell, a black guy coming out of prison, uh, things ain't going my way or what have you. And that um, black card is played on you. Man, Brandon, you just don't know how it is to be black. You don't know how it is to mm -hmm. be black. You get all that sometimes? Yeah, those are, those are great questions, man. I mean, so I'm glad I'm on uh, talking in, in this forum because there's, there's some forums that it's not as um, uh, maybe well received, but it, it's it's not the government's job. It's not, this is this is God's plan. So I'm like, I'm not going to defer to the government or anyone. Like, look, at, I'm just doing I'm doing the work that I believe I'm here on earth to do. So I got one guy to report to, man. That's it. That's it. That's one guy. Um, 
government picks it up, government doesn't pick it up. I'm just looking at what what I've been given in terms of skill and ability, opportunity, energy level, and, and applying it towards a positive direction for you know for God's plan. I don't know. I I believe in civic civic society. You know, civil society, however you want to call it. I think it's the work of human beings doing good that that moves this world along. And government comes along to validate that. Or they see what rises to the top, and then they 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 say, "Hey, this is it's a best practice that we can now invest in." But they're too slow to move. They're too um, too risk adverse, uh, surrendering to the fear rather than jumping on you know possibility. Uh, I I don't know, man. I I never really thought about the government. If the government actually did this, I just don't think they're the right people to do it. I think if the government got someone into this, trust factor would would little you know be little to to get them out of this, and like you know. I, I don't know. I, I think the government's job is to um, to do what it's been doing, right? And, and, and that's that's you know you, you set up a system of of, of uh, what's considered justice. You put someone through a system of courts, right? And again, we could talk about the inequities there, but they're doing what the government should you know should be doing. And then I, I don't know about the rehabilitation side. I can tell you, in the last administration, they pumped tons of dollars into reentry, and. Uh, for once, it was great to see what's possible under an administration that believes in second chances. And it was pretty amazing, man. It's like when you say it's the government's job, I mean, we got a taste of it last last administration. They were dumping dollars, passing legislation, getting Pell Grants back to inmates. And, and we've seen that cut off recently with the new administration. And it's like, uh, so when you ask that question, under the right leadership, government could knock it out of the park under the wrong leadership. It could be a disaster. And, it, you know, so I, let me think on that one more, Adele, uh, the, the race, the race issue. I don't get too much that. I mean, I can tell you, I grew up in Detroit. I'm a minority in Detroit. I kind of understand certain things, right? Certain things, not everything. Um, definitely know what it's like to, to be poor. Right. I mean, I can, I can level with that. Um, but there's, to me, it's very easy argument to subtle. I mean, I got probation instead of 10 years in prison. And I tell people, you know, if I was black, I'm probably doing at least eight. You know I mean, I'm doing five to eight years. There, there's some opportunities that are afforded to you because of your color of your skin. But I, I mean, I think I bat those down years ago in my childhood. I, I, don't, I don't really get question on that very much, um, if at all anymore. You know, doing what work you can do to, to, to change and to um, help someone or move the world along or fight for equity. That's the focus. I think it's just got to be a more global mindset and a more, you know, you're looking at everybody and everything. Yeah. We know the numbers. One in three black males will be incarcerated. One in 31 white males will be incarcerated. A little weird, right? That's a little off. You know, the facts, you take the facts, you keep fighting, uh, but you're fighting for this, like almost like this objective goal of just serving people it just happens those that we serve are majority African American, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really get I don't really get hit with that 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 one anymore, or if if at all. It was just in my when I was a kid, I did call me all sorts of shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they they, they might even call you Slim Shady back in the days, man. You know? I would have taken it. I would have taken yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, some of his music and his just his lyrics and his story is so powerful. Uh, let me ask a question, though. You said yeah. something that's very important, and it speaks to what I spent a lot of time on. You said the last administration 
did a lot to help with reentry, and this administration is not. Yeah. And some would say this administration, the black vote, has been so powerful in the Biden administration. Not pulling you into politics. This is Odell's in the politics. Yeah. It's like a lot of times you can't assume what one administration will or won't do. And the whole idea of that reentry was a big deal. So I agree with you 100% there. Now, Bill, Odell, and Brent, why do you think, uh, you know, listen, I'm not a big fan of the Trump administration. I tell everybody that. I like the business part. I love the reentry part. But some of the social stuff, no. However, we have to call a spade a spade. And we have to give credit where credit is due. And we have to call out what things are not doing well. So mm-hmm. the Biden administration cut off certain dollars that was helping African-Americans and others re-entry into society. That's a fact. So, you know, we're not trying to make decisions or speaking things out of our emotions. We're just telling the truth. So, Brandon, did you understand what was happening? All of a sudden, you know, good programs got cut off because some people decided that we're going to now save the horn frog in Montana instead of saving black folks coming out of prison. Yeah, dude, I have no idea what's going on. And, and like for full disclosure, like we, we don't have a television at home. Um, I'm not in social media. I, I live kind of like by what I see, right? Like during the pandemic, it hit. Just by seeing what was happening, we, I ended up doubling business here and hiring like 16 people, open another restaurant. I, I didn't look at the fear out there. I looked at the reality was there was no one that I knew or in front of me getting sick. Wow. There's a, there's a group of men and women who have kids, families, and dreams and that they're trying to still fight for. And all I knew how to do was to, to, to fight and lead through that, right? And we nailed it. We nailed it, man. We nailed it. And, you know, for a year, no one got COVID. I mean, look at a year, Odell, a year. One person got COVID, they're out for a week, and everything was fine. But I just, I don't know what goes on. I can only see with my eyes and feel with my body. And the less I blur that with media images or social media and connecting these neurons, it's going to screw me up. So I don't know why it happened. And I don't know how it happened. All I know is there was a sense of middle America, not by class in terms of economy, just right. You know, you and I are always going to believe reentry is good. We're not, you're not going to move us. There's some people who say reentry is bad. They're never going to move, but that middle ground was shifting and it was shifting fast. Um, we don't depend on government funds. I take a one state grant in 18 years, man. It's not our bag. Uh, but I just, you just see it. You just see it like stop. And you think, well, why is it? I mean, the current president was the same president when he was a Senator that took away the Pell grants 26 years ago, 27 years ago, that, that, you know, last president brought back. I don't know what's in someone's bones. I don't know. And you know, it's just not one person either. You know, it's a, a group of people and um, it just, it just sucks. So man, cause you saw a lot of, you saw a lot of energy and you could see it. I didn't have to explain as hard the, the job that we were doing or what the constraints were, why it's important or why it, it can make such a big impact. It, it, it had to go through all those steps. Now it's like, you gotta work twice as hard to make the same arguments and, um, but again, I, I have no damn idea why, why people do things. I don't know. Hey, well, the reason I say that, a lot of times when I was running around here getting started with welfare reform, a lot of my, and this, I learned a valuable lesson because mm-hmm. here I am, a good looking, slim and trim black preacher running around the community talking about getting people 
majority black women off of welfare. And a lot of people were like, well, you know, Republicans are not going to help you, not going to help you. And I'm like, hey, I would go in immediately to some of the most wealthy Republican businessmen in the city and in the county and say, hey, I want to talk to you about getting people off of welfare. And some even told me, Odell, welfare is a black person problem and I don't like welfare. And I said, I don't like welfare either. So let's work together. Let's work together to get it done. And I got so much help from some of the people who you thought wouldn't help me at all because they saw some common ground. They saw the fact that, hey, this guy's trying to make a difference. But like and I know you had to do it, Brandon. I know they had to watch you and you had to prove yourself and you had to just go over time man it's it's a marathon it's not a sprint so i say to you my friend congratulations and call a spade a spade because if one administration was doing it for whatever reason it was making a difference and another administration comes in and cut it out immediately it's like wait a minute guys that's that's a red flag that's a red flag that's not fair but hey in politics what's fair like i don't care i I just want i just want to get it done right i don't care how it gets done let's get it done as long as it's done with you know respect dignity etc but I, there was a, a group that really pushes hard for lobbying and um there was a content that got me on the phone with them and they said so what are you trying to do i just said look i don't care who gets the credit but <laughs> i don't really care I don't, want, I don't want any credit don't give me any credit but we need to get inside of a room to explain the importance of what's happening how it's happening and um and and start to really bring back this this idea this this space you know like if you don't dedicate space or time to something it's, it's valueless right the things that are of value you, you dedicate time and space to from a bank to a you know safety deposit box to a hospital bed that's space for something that's important right we just need to create space for re-entry again and um and you know you know i, I reach out I, i'm trying I'm, but i'm not i'm not the politics guy i'm on the ground let's get it done and roll our sleeves up and uh and serve as an example because the world will watch the example and then they'll say it's possible. And if it's possible, then you, you get it. Right. Uh, but we're, tr- I mean, we're trying, I mean, whoever we know, however we know, we just make a pitch and we just keep doing our work. Where does and it, it changed families, Bill, Bill, it changed families. If a, if, if a man can be a man and provide for his family and his children makes all the difference in the world, Bill, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, agree, say- I agree with you. I agree with you. You mentioned a Pell Grant. Is it, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, P-E-L-L. And what is that? It's a grant that allows someone to pay for college uh, on behalf of the government, you know? So you got your, your college tuition covered. So if you're incarcerated, you can apply for a Pell Grant and get your college covered or your learning covered? You can, yeah, you can as of, you know, like or three years ago. But for 26 years prior, you you couldn't. Significant. I mean, here in Ohio, we have a couple of institutions, colleges. Uh, Ashland University is probably a big one that does a lot of prison work. So you can start taking classes and um, you really get your college degree while, while incarcerated. They're one of the steadfast ones. I've been doing it for a while. You, you know, you got to watch some creeping up on it, using it for an income stream. Right. Like they'll say, hey, we want to provide this and they get the money. I mean, you, you know, what goes on here. But there's some that are just doing it uh, for the, the right reasons, and they're all the resources dedicated to it are are solid, and it's, it's a great education. So that, I mean, that's what you want to see. If you're going to do five, ten years, damn it, I mean, why not come out with a bachelor's? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Plus, it occupies your time, keeps you busy. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not sitting around looking at four walls. You're you're edu- and then chances are, as you're going through that education period, you become more self confident. 
Mm-hmm. You become mm-hmm. more curious. And you start thinking about a future. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, all those positive things start happening. I mean, I think it's a great, a great thing. I, I'm going to look into that. Odell, Odell has some political connections more so than me. So I'm going to let him talk to the right people to get a Pell Grant. You know well, what we're going to do? We're going to call it an Odell Grant, maybe. Change it. Listen, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. We talk about, and Brandon made a good point, we talk about prison and amount of time and what one's labeled as a felon or this or that. Well, as you all know, it's a lot of different levels of felons. But if we did a crime, if we did something, Odell stole a bottle of water, Bill stole a bottle of water. And all of a sudden, Odell gets probation and Bill gets 10 years in jail. We did the exact same thing. A lot of times, a part of the criminal justice system is that the attorneys or if you have wealth, power, influence, and it just changed the sentences. So the whole thing is that uh, Lady Justice is not blind. And it's, it, it, it's a lot of race. But also it's a lot of social status also, because if I got a speeding ticket or my son got a speeding ticket or something like that, Odell would immediately get an attorney and try to get it um, either pushed off the records or something. Now, is that Mm -hmm. right or wrong? That's the system. If something happened to my family and I can have some resources to help, I'm going to make that happen. Now, for someone who doesn't have the resources, then they say, well, we will give you an attorney. Or I guess what the Miranda Wright say, an attorney will be given to you or what have you. That's part of the system too. Uh, Bill, I did have Pell Grants coming through college. Let me explain what Pell Grants were when I went to school. If you were under a certain poverty guideline, you got X amount of dollars to go to school. Now, I didn't know any better. So in a lot of cases, when I was getting Pell Grants, I was still on a basketball scholarship. So the truth of the matter should have been that, okay, here's this poor boy from the public housing of Charleston, South Carolina, uh, could play basketball pretty good. Now, if I got a full ride, I should have gotten my athletic scholarship should have paid for it. And my Pell Grant that came to me no matter what, should have been money that I needed to live off or help live off. Because in spite of what everybody say, when you go a full, full ride, it doesn't pay for everything. Now, imagine the little white guy over there who may be the coach's son or somebody like that, because the school just have X amount of dollars. So now if Odell has a full scholarship, but the majority of it is paid for with my Pell Grant, now the coach's son over there, He gets a full scholarship. He doesn't qualify for Pell Grant, so his money is real money. My money that the school put out for me was, well, he's going to get it anyway. And I remember when my eligibility ran out and I didn't get drafted in the NBA, I went and started getting my Pell Grant myself. And that's the stuff that makes you feel bad because even those who looked out for you, Mm -hmm. they still had you in a system that benefited them. Did it benefit me? Yes. But do I get everything from the system? No. And I think that's the key when it comes to the fact that you're not a victim. A lot of times you just don't know what you don't know. And to Brandon's point, a lot of these individuals coming into a program, if they fully understood the benefits of the program, they would be chomping at the bits to get in the program because this could be the bridge to a whole nother life. But if you don't understand it either mentally, physically or emotionally, 
or you think somebody's trying to get you or something like that. And I think the issue is a lot of times when I call it being institutionalized, you went in as a young person making bad decisions or what have you. Or you did something like my grandmama say you was with the wrong crowd. So you went in at 16, 17, 18. All right, that's your age, but your maturity level may not have been that. Well, you have it now it's 10, 15 years later, and your maturity level is still at that age. And Brandon hit the nail on the head. I love talking to people who know what they're talking about because some of the emotional decisions that people make, you know, I'm upset. So I just do this or do that. That's emotional decisions. So Friend, I'm just so happy, man, on what you are doing and seeing how we could come along and try to support some of the things you're doing to make a difference because you're saving lives. And a lot of the lives that you're saving are lives of people who are the children of those you're helping. Because if one doesn't make a change, then our children comes up doing the same thing that we were doing, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Bill, that's enough preaching for the day. If I preach anymore, I'm going to have to pass the hat. You know, you know, our staff is Brandon. Once we talk too much, we pass the basket around. You know, I'll tell you one, one thing, you, you know, you talked about the, the children of the program. I just finished raising about, uh, it was about 370000 and uh, we're going to open up a free daycare center. So anyone in the program with children will have someone to watch the children. And then um, it's a big, uh, big block in, in, in what we do is if you, if you have children, you're usually not completing the program. Yeah, that's that's a good point. The uh, Brandon, we're getting to, toward our end here. Um, sure. Can you share an example or a story of some someone that's gone through the program? An mm. Extraordinary story, maybe. Uh, dude, they're all extraordinary, man. It's like I can't pick my favorite kid, right? Yeah, you know, it's all my. We got oh, three yeah. kids. I, I, I tell them all, they're all my favorite. I say you're my favorite, but <laughs> I can't. I can't pick one. I can't. I, can't, I mean, I, I could tell you some like incredible conditions someone persevered through. You know, one young lady who who you know. Because of drugs, um, you know, she had her child in prison, released in our program, and, and finally towards the end of our program, again, six months in length, she uh, she was able to start seeing her kid again and eventually got custody within that same year. Like, that's a big story, you know. Uh, someone staying clean, you know, especially with that, the, the addiction. You know, these addictions are nowadays. Uh, it's tougher and tougher. Uh, you know, one, one guy, you know, al- alcoholism seems to be a common thread. You talk about those aces. I mean, that's like one of those aces. It seems like everyone I come across, including myself, has, has been involved with someone in the family, right, that's, that's got it. And uh, he had he had uh, overcome that. Uh, meanwhile, he's still, you know, caring for his father, who was a quadriplegic. And it, it was great. We have some people who went out to open and have their own restaurants. And, and, and I mean, there's all great stories. One guy. He was in our program in prison. You know, we, we, we teach the hands-on program there. He got re- he took that. He got released. Within a couple of years, he had um, he was running the casino restaurants. He bought a boat, got, you know, bought a house. I mean, just it's just great when you see people just do it. You know, they're just doing it. But, you know, we're, we're ultra aware of that things are going to come in the way and they're going to happen. And we have to still, you know, operate around around these um, and, and just it takes long enough by the time, you know, you give someone long enough, it's just, it starts to click, you know, it starts to click. If you just, if you just hang, someone told me once, just got to hang, man, just got to hang. You hang for long enough, the good things start happening. Yeah, I agree with that. At that learning that perseverance is a big deal because so many times people have get, given up on them or they've given up on themselves and uh, mm-hmm. they've never had someone that believed in them. And it's easy it's easy to get discouraged. Life is tough at times. Uh, it's not a bed of roses. 
and you have to figure a way to get there. I don't know how people do it that don't have uh, uh, a God-centered life, but, you know, I don't understand that. But, uh, Brandon, you come across a lot of different personalities, uh, and you deal with a lot of people, both very influential and people coming out of prison. How do you find common ground with all that? That's a, that's a damn good question, Bill. I, to me, it's just just be. I, I, I don't know what to say, but just be. I mean, we're all we all have this idea. We want to we want to be something better. If it's not for ourselves, it's for you know our children or someone we love. And um, you, you know, to me, I think that's just just being. You know, just being. That's it, man. I've got yeah. any hidden motives, hidden agendas. I just just being. And with someone trying to get better, we try to do that. With someone, you know. In positions of power, they, everyone still has aspirations. I think that would be the, the, the common ground is the aspirations or the idea of growth, the idea that we're trying to become something better tomorrow. And no matter who you are, you want to be, no one wakes up and says, I want to be worse tomorrow. Nobody, nobody. And I think that's the common ground we find. And sometimes it's those with the, the pockets that want to do better in the world that we make sure we, you know, take and apply to sort towards someone who wants to do better through, through what we do in the world. Um, yeah, that'd be the, the big common ground. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, before I let you go, uh, on August 17th, I'm going to be in Cleveland. Um, okay. And the reason I'm coming to Cleveland is, you know, I'm a big volunteer with the Boy Scouts and uh, I got my Eagle Scout in Cleveland. And, nice. uh, and, uh, and I'm going, they have a big fundraiser and, and I like bourbon and I like barbecue and I like cigars and they're having a, barbecue and bourbon and cigar thing at the foundry uh downtown cleveland and uh if you if you're free please come as my guest i've got oh, that'd be great i've got two of my brothers are coming and one of my brother-in-law uh and uh i will email you uh your assistant the information and if you decide you want to come just let me know so i get your name on the the, the list of coming into that and um what is there anything that we can help i mean like Lines to bourbon, we get things through the state where some people are paying quadruple the price, maybe ten times the price. Make sure offline we connect and somehow we could we could yeah. you know, help in yeah. some capacity. Well, that's that's a those are great great initiatives, man. The, the scouts are a great great group. Well, thank you. And you know what I'll do is the scout executive there, uh, Mark Ryan, great guy. You would love mm-hmm. him. So I'll I'll connect you with Mark, and you guys can work out those details. Uh, they they also this is interesting. You know, uh, we at our camp in Beaumont, we have a lot of maple trees and uh, they started making their own syrup. And we now have scouts own syrup. We 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 make a million dollars profit on selling <laughs> syrup and pancake mix. Isn't that crazy? That's great, man. That's great. In a creative way. You know, the kids are helping do it. They're learning how to tap the trees, how to cook the syrup and how to bottle it. We're not using them as labor, but they're learning the process. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a cool thing, but I'll hook you up with Mark and, and you'll, you'll, yeah. it'll, and Odell, I didn't tell you, I was going to, to Cleveland and we're going to go to Parma. Do you think you want to come on the 17th? I don't know about that bill, but I'm trying to see how we can get president Biden to come in uh, Brandon's restaurant Edwards and just see what he's missing and mm-hmm. see what cutting off that funding is causing issues. So yeah, we, we, we need a campaign to get Biden in there, get him in there. And 
you know, let them order something and see what's going on. Because a lot of times people make decisions because they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Because unintended consequences are still consequences. And cutting off that funding was a bad decision. Yeah. And, you know, Bill, I, and, and I'll tell you, that's, that's a great idea. Okay. But I think the greatest idea, t- I mean, today is the pancakes and waffles. Because, I mean, it, it beats the shit out of those cookies. You know, the Girl Scout cookies? Oh, yeah. I can, I can, those Thin Mints only last you, but pancake and, and syrup, man, that's good. Oh, yeah. That sounds and really we, good. We also have Boy Scout bourbon, too, with a Boy Scout label. <laughs> I'll bring you a bottle. Uh, you know, the Girl Scouts have cookies. Boy Sc- I'm known as the Boy Scout bootlegger. To bring oh, I love in. it, dude. I love it. My kind of club, man. My kind of club. <laughs> well, hey, guys, listen, we really appreciate it. And Bill... Um, Brandon, any last words before we jump off? No, man, keep keep doing. I mean, you guys are great. Uh, I love the opening prayer. That's that's so good. And uh, you know, we we need to be remember. We we all need to remember what this is about too, right? And uh, we're not we're not here forever. Uh, so thanks thanks for having me on your show. And I'm looking forward to doing it again. Or Bill, seeing you up here, or, or maybe down there. I'll, I'll be down there sometime soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you're on our list every time we go to Cleveland. I know we're going to have one dinner. So mm-hmm. good deal. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, guys. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.